Hey, this is episode eight of the TV Junk Podcast, and this is The Sandman. My name is Greg. Thanks for checking out the podcast. Uh, if you want to uh, follow us on the social media, it's uh, TV Junk Podcast on uh, Twitter. And of course, if you got any questions or comments, uh, send us an email, tvjunkpodcast at uh, gmail.com. On the show today, we've got a, a panel. We're going to talk about the Sandman. So let's, uh, let's introduce who we've got on the show today. We've got Nuno. How's it going, Nuno? I'm doing good. Hey, guys. How are you? Sean, how are you? I'm doing good. Thanks for asking. And uh, Zach, what about you? How are you doing, Zach? I'm doing. I'm doing great. Greg, how are you doing? I am fantastic. I just uh, I finished watching Sandman yesterday. I uh, blitzed through them all in a in a couple of evenings. And I, this afternoon, I watched I Am Groot. We're going to talk a little bit about that. And uh, so uh, first, I wanted to. Uh, uh, kind of go across the panel and just, um, uh, and see how uh, familiar each of you were with, uh, the Sandman, uh, comics. Obviously, obviously, Nuno, you're probably the most familiar. Um, but, uh, so we'll, we'll start with, uh, Sean. I know you were kind of in and out of the comic collecting. Like, did you ever, uh, get a look at any of Neil Gaiman's Sandman comics? So I had a phase definitely where I was into a lot of Vertigo stuff. Okay. But, but I had only ever read the first uh, graphic novel. And so then when the show was coming out, I reread the first one, was planning on reading the second one, but then we just, we had to record this, this show. So I just had to like binge through those episodes and <laughs> didn't get a chance to read the second graphic novel, but I, I'm, you know, somewhat familiar. Uh, Zach, what about you? Uh, any familiarity with uh, uh, Sandman comics? Uh, I, I'm a little familiar. I, there was a period where I was a pretty big comic book reader, kind of similar to Sean. I was into vertigo and things like that. Um, I'm not so much like the superhero comics, but I, I remember I read, I think the first one for a undergraduate class at university. So I remember reading that one, but after watching the series, it makes me wish I kind of continued a bit more because I, I, I didn't really follow up on that. And uh, Nuno, what about yourself? Um, I was always aware of Sandman, and um, the only stuff I actually collected were, but by Neil Gaiman in the Sandman universe, were the Death miniseries because of the artist Chris Bocciolo. He had um, he had a, a series that I loved called uh, Generation X, with it was like an X Men spinoff. Oh, okay, right, right. Yeah, I remember so that. he always, yeah, so he had a key illustrated Sandman for a while did a lot of vertical titles before going to Marvel. So um, I collected those. And then my, my roommate in college first year was a huge Sandman fan. And she lent me the second graphic novel. So I read the dollhouse first and then just watched the first eight episodes and then read both, both uh, the two first volumes and then watched the rest of the series. So I'm all read up on, the two graphic novels oh wow great um you know uh this wasn't uh uh something that uh really caught my eye back when i was uh, uh collecting comics uh, even when it uh it uh first came out um and i had thought that i had read it but um just watching the show i didn't remember 
anything. So uh, I'm going to assume that I never actually did read any of uh, Neil Gaiman, uh, Neil Gaiman's uh, Sandman comics. But it uh, like because when this first uh, when it first came out, the comic like it was um, this was before that Vertigo was ever a thing. So it was just a regular uh dc comic and um and like three or four years later was when uh vertigo uh launched and, and similar to uh i compare it to iron maiden and judas priest in the uh british new wave heavy metal where um comic books uh especially writers it was kind of like this new influx of british uh writers and a lot of them were on uh these uh vertigo uh titles which um I don't think I ever read any of any of them. Like, uh, like it launched with um, uh, Hellblazer and Animal Man and Swamp Thing and Doom Patrol, and that, that's just stuff that I wasn't too uh, interested in back then. Like, um, you know, I was one of those idiots that was really drawn to uh, more of the art as opposed to uh the writing so like if it was todd mcfarland or, or jim lee or uh, mark Silvestri or any of those guys like that's the kind of mark bagley i loved his run on spider-man like that was kind of the stuff that i was kind of focused on so i really missed out on on all of that uh really cool stuff that came out on on in vertigo like the invisibles and preacher and uh trans metropolitan and why the last man and a uh, hundred bullets like um going back and kind of reading some of the stuff uh, much later. Um, I feel I missed out on a lot when I was uh, really into comics because there was a lot of really good stuff uh, that came out in that uh, Vertigo imprint and geared more towards uh, mature readers. I think that's, they had that on the covers. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, um, a lot of good stuff in that imprint. And so I was, uh, once I realized that I actually hadn't read any of uh, of the Sandman comics um i think i i I kind of enjoyed uh the show a little bit more but um similar to what we've done in the past i think we should kind of um break the review down into three parts um episodes one to four were kind of a story then episodes five and six and then episodes seven through ten and i think that'll make it easier for us to kind of talk about the show uh, in those three parts and and, uh, separate it that way so um yeah sandman was a it's uh based on uh the comic series uh developed by neil gaiman and david s goyer uh for netflix starring uh tom sturridge Boyd holbrook and uh Patton oswald um so the first four episodes um kind of deal with uh um dream and uh his, I guess, uh, abduction by uh, humans, where he was held prisoner for um, 100 years, and kind of the things that happened to him while being held prisoner, and uh, and what was going on um, back in his his realm. So, um, Nuno, um, what were your thoughts on the on the first four episodes, the introduction of all the characters, and kind of the the story that we were introduced to, um, Sandman being a, a abducted by um the old guy from game of thrones yeah <clears throat> yeah you know the first episode i think was my favorite i was really drawn in um again because i just read the second um graphic novel i wasn't familiar with the introduction the whole setup i liked how they expanded the Roderick burgess character like after going back and reading the comic i found that 
he's much actually the adaptation is a bit better what they've added to the character um making uh ethel Cripps a bigger character was actually an improvement i think on the original story um so yeah the elements that they expanded were really good um i really liked what's his name is it tom sturridge no. yeah yeah i think he's a pretty good morpheus um his voiceovers like he's he's silent for that 100 years of captivity but his uh his occasional voiceover he's got a great deep raspy british voice i thought his voice was excellent for morpheus oh, yeah. um yeah i think the introduction was my favorite part unfortunately i wasn't i wasn't crazy about maybe the last half of the series but the first half um i really liked and uh but yeah, Ethel Cripps, her son, John D, all that stuff, I was really happy with. When um, Neil Gaiman, he uh, he designed the look of Morpheus, kind of a mix of how he looked at that age, and I think a little bit of Robert Smith from The Cure. That's what I've heard. Yeah. yeah. So uh, <laughs> pretty accurate. Uh, I think uh, Tom Sturridge was well cast uh, for the look of him in, in the series. Um, it was a. Uh, it was really great to see um, Jolie Richardson as the the elderly Ethel Cripps. I haven't seen her in anything in feels like over a decade. So I actually wasn't even sure if she was still alive or not. Uh, but uh, yeah, it was good to see uh, um, her in the show. Um, Sean, what did you think of the of the the first four episodes? Well, I, I, I think I'm kind of with Nuno. Like, I liked the intro, I, I, although I think my favorite stuff were sort of the standalone episodes, which are more like the middle of the show. But yeah. I really like the intro and the standalone stuff. The last four, uh, I don't know, felt a bit compressed and, and you know, there, we'll, we'll get there. But, uh, but yeah, I, I liked the, the start of the show. I think just to throw this out there like one of my biggest disappointments with the show which overall i did like i felt visually it was lacking and this is something that's like it's tricky because obviously you read the comic it's kind of abstract and like it's just so strange and 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 so you're like expecting the show to come along and be like psychedelic and weird and it just looks kind of plain for the most part and then there was this article that just I just saw today on Vice about I can't remember what it was called exactly, but it was basically like why do all Netflix shows look like garbage? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I read that too. Yeah, and it was actually really interesting because it, it gets into like you know they have a couple of cameras that they basically say you have to use one of these cameras. There's like um, you know, in terms of budget, like a lot of their stuff has big budgets, but the actors get paid a lot more upfront because there's no back end on Netflix productions. So then there's less money for effects and stuff like that. Uh there's just like a whole bunch of reasons. And it it comes, yeah, it basically comes down to yeah, like a lot of these shows look the same. Like they compress the way they compress the video to save money on data. Uh it, you know, it kind of um, ruins the look of it a bit, but like compared to like the bear, which, you know, maybe a future episode of TV junk, but like, man, that show looks like so cinematic. And then you go to this and it's just like, what happened? I don't understand. But, um, you know, that being said, the actual story is adapted pretty well, I think. And you mentioned there were some changes, Nuno, like I think, 
the first few issues, they actually had DC characters in the comics that were kind of interwoven there. And I, I assume for rights reasons, they probably couldn't use them. So they put that stuff onto some of the existing characters in the story, which I thought was quite good. Um, now, in, in the original comic, like, uh, Morpheus isn't in prison for 106 years, right? It's, it's only, isn't it only like seven years? Um, no, you no, know I what? Think it's, it's pretty long. Yeah. Is it's, it a long it, time? Yeah. It's the same, it's the same starting year. Like, is it 19, is it 1914 or something? Yeah, I think so. I, I think they did it uh, just so uh, when he comes out, it's current time, like it's twenty twenty one. Yeah, so nineteen sixteen. Yeah, I was yeah. saying in the in, in the comic, it was nineteen sixteen until like eighty seven or whatever. Okay. Like it, it was current for the time. So like it, it kind of rounded out to almost hundred years because they updated it to the present day. Sure. Okay. Um, Zach, what what are your uh, initial thoughts on like that the the first block of episodes? Um, I mean, I'll, I'll kind of follow up on Sean. I mean, I agree um, that of the kind of three story arcs, um, this is probably my second favorite. I think the middle two are my favorite of them all. Um, and, and I also kind of, um, I, I think there's something weird in watching it in the sense that like, uh, I mean, I liked it overall. Um, I, I, I quite liked the first maybe six or seven episodes, I guess it is. Um but I think there's also something slightly weird in it in the sense of the story arcs, because it's just maybe kind of caught me off guard when watching it. Cause you don't really like a, a lot of characters come in really quickly and come out, come in and out really quickly. And I can see how that might work a little bit better in like a long form, like, uh, you know, 11 volumes of a comic book where people might come and go and then they might come back later. But here it just felt very unusual where you have these kind of slightly major they seem like pretty big characters that don't really reappear again. Like I'm thinking of like, I mean, even like some of the people like um, desire um, uh, when they appear, like it, I, I kind of expected that narrative to be picked up and then it doesn't come back around again. And even the way the story is told with that. Um, but in terms of the first four, I, I, I quite like them. I, 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 I I'll, I'll say I didn't really catch on to it really right away it didn't really grab my attention it maybe wasn't really until maybe episode four or five that i really got into it and i agree with sean in terms of the visual aesthetics of it like i would agree that a lot of the kind of special effects maybe looked they looked really grainy to me on mine on on my uh, vivid tv settings um (laughs) which were ramped up as bright as can be um they looked very grainy at times, like for a lot of the, they use a lot of like smoke and digital effects, like attached to that, that looked really kind of like unfinished. Um, But I also kind of thought, you know, like I almost wanted something a bit dirtier or grungier or uh, like something like, you know, I would, like it, it is very much of that kind of era of like goth or grunge or, you know, definitely like there's some cyberpunk elements to it too. And this one just had this like very glossy feel to it. Like I understand that Netflix is trying to produce for like the, a mass audience to a certain extent, but I almost wanted something slightly more gory or unusual in terms of the aesthetics of that. Like I, I wanted to see some, like, like you said, it was like, you know, even I wasn't crazy about Sandman as well. I would say like, I, I kind of was like, you know, I, I, I wanted Robert Smith of the cure, but I think I got like 
fallout boy or something like that like that's <laughs> that's the look that he it got was pete wentz. <laughs> i got pete wentz or i, I shared a, a meme on twitter of like um from nathan for you episode where he go he's dressed up as a hot topic manager and i was like yeah it's a little bit too hot topic and i kind of want a little bit of the cure or something like that you know i the uh actually uh i was kind of in and out in the in the first uh four episodes um i i don't know i just uh i i'm not sure they uh really explained too much like it's like for the first episode we meet this uh, british aristocrat named uh roderick burgess and uh, uh he has this plan to use some uh spells and and some rituals to try to capture death which is what his plan is because he wants uh to resurrect his eldest son who had who had died uh and he ends up uh, getting uh morpheus but um i didn't really understand how roger burgess knew how to do any of this uh, or knew how or like how did he even know death was something that he could actually capture. And um, so I had a little trouble uh, trying to figure out uh, uh, how that um, was really going to happen. Like, where did he get this information from? Um, But uh, I don't know. Did I, did I miss something in the, in early in the first episode or did they just, it just, it is what it was. And he, he just knew how to do stuff. And isn't there a book that he's getting from someone? I I don't know exactly, but. There's there's someone from the, from the museum. I don't know if it's like the Natural History Museum who has like an ancient tome. And in the opening of the series, he's arriving. Right. Okay. And he he wants to he he's in he wants to do the ceremony because he just lost his son during during World War One. His son's destroyer was sank. Right. I think. Yeah. And, and in the comic too, it does mention that there's this one book was the the missing piece that. That Rod, that Burgess, oh wait, yeah. Roderick Burgess needed. Yeah, the book was the last thing he needed in order to conjure, you know, a death. So, so when he uh, when he gets uh, uh, Morpheus, uh, he's able to uh, imprison him in within a spear, and there's like a a, a a spell of I guess containment that is drawn on the ground underneath it, and he steals Morpheus's helm. And, uh, the pouch of sand and a ruby. Now, um, he doesn't really understand what any of these things are, but he does know that they are, that uh, they're valuable. Um, and so as, uh, we were all also introduced to his youngest son, who's a bit of a, a, a wet blanket and, uh, he's kind of pushed around. Uh, and uh, there doesn't seem to be a lot of love between father and son there. Um, but, one of the consequences of, of Morpheus being in prison is this sleepy sickness where there's X amount of people all over the world who, um, who are just stuck, uh, asleep in, in dreamland, I guess. And, uh, and so a lot of them are asleep for a hundred and in six years for the entire time that he's kind of locked in there. Um, and then that's where we're also introduced to, to Ethel Cripps, who kind of uh, steals all this shit when uh, she becomes pregnant and Roger wants her to get rid of the baby. And there he goes. <laughs> Faster. Yeah. 
so uh so ethel crips uh we find out that she ends up kind of uh trading off all the stuff except for the ruby and uh so the end of the first episode uh morpheus is uh able to uh escape uh from from the sphere and then we kind of move on for him trying to uh, uh recover uh all of his his missing things but uh so so what did you think about uh um like we didn't really hear Morpheus speak too much. Like it was a lot of it was a voiceovers and, uh, um, he stayed kind of silent. And then, uh, when he, uh, escaped, um, I, I think I was just, I was, I was expecting a little bit more vengeance from, from his part, but, uh, uh, I, I didn't, I didn't really get that satisfaction of, uh, um, I mean, that, that guy killed Jessamy, the, the, the raven with a shotgun, like just, <laughs> Thought I murdered him in front of him, and all he did was kind of put him to to into a permanent sleep, which was I don't know, not very satisfying for me. What what, what did you guys think? Yeah, well, I, I this this wasn't really an opinion I had, but um, I saw somebody online mentioning that in the comics he's a little more um, angry, Morpheus. That is. Uh, and that he's, you know, he's just a little edgier, but like in the show, he's, he's more of like more of a softy almost, which I don't totally uh, like, you know, again, I haven't read the second, uh, graphic novel, so I can't say for sure, but you know, I could see that I could see that being a bit of a problem maybe, but also just to touch on, I guess your kind of maybe confusion a bit with some of the things like, I feel like overall this show probably plays a lot better to people who have read the comics. Like, I think it's, you know, the comics are kind of, you know, impenetrable to some degree as well, but like, and then the show is just kind of adapting the comics, but like something about the amount of stuff they're throwing at you in the show is a lot to take in. Yeah. And I think it's especially because a, a lot of them seem like they're bigger characters than they are. And then like, they kind of disappear quickly. Like I said, um, and it's almost like when I was watching it, like Sandman doesn't even really seem like the main character of the show. Like he almost seems like a secondary character because he's not really kind of the leader for a large portion of it. It's following other people for the most part. So, he, and I, I think there's something odd about it in the sense that like, he's kind of a, a little bit bland. Like I, you, you, you don't really sense that much character development from him. I don't know if it's different in the comic books, but he just seems kind of like um, someone like walking around in between these different situations that doesn't really interact with a lot of the other elements that much until maybe the end. Um, I mean, the first four episodes have the most of Sandman, I think. And, um, a lot of it, like episode one, he doesn't speak at all. And, you know, so there's just maybe some like, I don't know, some narrative development that I would like to see a bit more in terms of it. Yeah, I, I, had, I had similar thoughts. Like, um, I'd say after episode five, he definitely gets pushed into the background and kind of like, even becomes almost like, yeah, a background character. A secondary, a secondary character who's kind of just observing. He doesn't really push forward the plot. I think my favorite stuff was him retrieving his tools that he lost. Yeah, and, like, um, that, that was kind of the only stuff that I found myself really interested in. Um, kind of that uh, that quest that he he goes on to. Um, 
so like, like episode two, he returns back to the dreaming and sees that it's all in, in, in ruins. And, uh, he needs to, uh, retrieve some of his power. Um, uh, so we can kind of, uh, figure out where all of his, his items are. And, and that's where we meet what I thought was going to be my favorite character, Greg, the gargoyle. And I was like, here we go. We got, we got an awesome, cool looking character named after me. <laughs> and uh, he's killed. He's yeah. Killed, like, right away. Right, right away. But I mean, let, <laughs> I mean, like all Greg's steps up and, and makes the ultimate sacrifice for the greater good. Um, so, uh, very sad. Uh, but we also meet, uh, uh, Cain and Abel. And, uh, yeah, one of them's a real son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> and the other one's a pretty nice guy. Um, um, so, I mean, uh, I don't know. I, I think they did spend a little bit, uh, too much time on Cain and Abel because they really didn't have much else to do, uh, beyond that, uh, uh, moment. Um, I suppose when, when Morpheus gives them a, a baby gargoyle to make up for it at the end of the episode. But so in episode two, he uses, uses the power that he gets from Greg and, uh, he summons, uh, the, the fates to find out the whereabouts, uh, of his equipment. And for, for a guy that's been alive for so long, uh, Morpheus, like he understands that he can only ask one question to, to each of them and he asks the dumbest questions <laughs> and, and i was every time he asks too many questions and, right like and he it's asked, like well, he had then he has the follow-up questions and they won't answer it and then it's like well why don't you use that follow-up question for your next question but he then he has asked something different it's like i don't, I don't get what the yeah, like he should have spent more time thinking about and and crafting the perfect question to get the answers that he needed. Like this doofus uh, walks in there pretty much unprepared and uh, barely gets any information. But we do find out that the pouch of sand is in the possession of an exorcist. Uh, uh, gender swapped here uh, from the original comics uh, from John. Uh, I was always under the impression that it was John Constantine, but apparently it's Constantine. Constantine. Apparently it's Constantine. Uh, uh, so Joanna Constantine has the bag of sand. The helm is in the hands of a demon in hell. And, uh, the ruby, uh, currently belongs to, uh, Ethel's son, John D. And, uh, Morpheus uh, sets off on his quest, uh, at the end of episode two. And we also get the introduction of, uh, Matthew the Raven as well, uh, voiced by Pat Oswalt, and as soon as as soon as I heard Matthew's voice, it's, it's like Patton's got an un, I think a very recognizable voice, and uh, I think I think that was a bit of a, a of a mistake to cast somebody that had such a well known uh, voice uh, when there 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 are a lot of. Uh, uh, very talented voice actors out there. I mean, I thought, well, why did they just get someone like uh, Mark Hamill, who's great at that? But he was the voice of uh, Merv Pumpkinhead in the show, so <laughs> yeah. he already had other stuff to do anyway. Um, but so, so, what did you guys think of uh, for uh, like Matthew the Raven and and having Patton Oswalt as uh, the voice? No, what do you think? Um, I I know Patton Oswalt is a huge comic fanboy. And obviously a huge fan of Neil Gaiman's work and the Sandman. 
Um, I didn't think much of, of his character. I, I knew it was coming. I was prepared for it. He didn't really do much for me. I mean, I know they, uh, they kind of peppered the dialogue, like a lot of the, like going back and reading the original two collections, a lot of the dialogue is word for word. It's verbatim, but I know they, they peppered the script a bit with some F words. So I know that like the, I think the lead in after episode two, when they find out they're going to hell, they kind of threw Pat Oswald a bone where it's like, fuck it, let's go to hell. Like that's how the episode ends. Like, I was like, oh, yay, we can throw in a bunch of like F bombs. <laughs> like, you know, what what a huge improvement on the original script. Um, but yeah, it, he didn't really do much for me. I, I like the idea that he's a recently deceased human who uh, who can now live out, live out eternity um, in the dream world as like uh, as like eyes and ears for for dream in uh in the human world or other different realms that was kind of a cool idea and he's probably maybe one of the better looking cgi characters or i don't know how they did him i guess he's maybe partially a puppet who knows but um yeah he was okay sean were you uh um how'd you feel about uh Matthew the Raven, and were you as devastated as I was at the demise of poor old Greg? Well, I don't want to say too much because it may make an appearance later in the superlatives, but okay. um, yeah, I wasn't crazy about Patton Oswalt. And, and, and it's just, you know, I, I like him. I just thought it was a weird, like, it didn't mesh with a lot of the other stuff that was going on in the show. I get that he was more probably for comic relief, uh, but yeah, and, and I think you're right, Nuno. Like, I think I read he was like the first person cast in the show, so I think it was like he really wanted to be involved. He's a fan of Neil Gaiman's work, and they're like, "Okay, you're in." I mean, my my biggest like thing was I don't see the point of him in the sense that he's not really playing like a comedic role of any sort, and his voice didn't really, like you said, it didn't really add anything to that. Like I. It, when he talks, like I was almost like it, it feels like it's supposed to be comedic because it's Pat Oswald, but it's not like comedic, and most of his lines are fairly, you know, standard lines of just, <laughs> but they're spoken by a raven. So I don't know. I think they. I think I read that they added that because because that character is not in the comics. I don't think he's uh, he's in the second volume. Okay. Yeah. I think I read that they put him in the show because there's a lot of stuff in the comic where Morpheus is just thinking to himself. And so they wanted a way for him to be able to voice that stuff to someone. So, yeah, makes sense. Um, I'm speaking about the visuals. Like you guys also no, we're not speak, speaking about the visuals, but I'm just going to throw that in. <laughs> Changing topics. Changing topics, I should say. Um, you guys notice like the aspect ratio is like squeezed a bit. Yeah, I, I, I was wondering what was going on with that because there's definitely points where I was watching and like people's faces were stretched weird and stuff. Is that part of what you're talking about or is that? Yeah, like when I, I started watching it, it just looked really weird. But I guess 
and and then I read about it online, but I guess the aspect ratio, it's actually shrunken in. So it's narrower. So everything looks like thinner than it should be. Right. So everything is kind of pushed in. So they, they kind of played with the aspect ratio um, of it to kind of change the look of it a little bit. So everybody, like when you see them in the comic book, he is kind of really relatively like rail thin too at certain points. Like, um, but they did it, I guess, they wanted it to have a slightly surreal look to it. So they kind of shrunk in the kind of aspect ratio or it, it looked a little bit like, you know, using PowerPoint and when you're like, kind of like playing with the images and like, <laughs> you have those like old teachers using PowerPoint and they, <laughs> they play with the images too much and then everything gets out of proportion. But I don't know. I mean, did people have thoughts on that or did you guys notice that? I, I didn't notice it. No. Oh, yeah, me either. Yeah, well, yeah with, with with the visuals, I know you, you both mentioned as well, or I think everyone kind of mentioned. Um, I think it could have been weirder. Like when you when you first meet the gargoyles and Cain and Abel and Lucian, they kind of have like they're like they look like they're right out of like the Neverending Story or like you know Lord of the Rings or something. They got like the elf ears and kind of like crazy well can and able have like crazy hair and like you know a lot of like kind of like uh i don't know buttoned up vests and just there's there's a certain aesthetic to them which i think is lifted right from the comic but sam keith the uh, illustrator of the early sandman comics who went on to create the max at image comics um he actually did a lot of cool visuals and has a had a lot of amazing creature design and character design in the comic, which they didn't even bother translating into the series. So as far as the visuals, I think that the series could have visually been a lot weirder. Like I think they had the, opp- the opportunity to, you know, kind of like have a 80s fantasy labyrinth slash, you know, slash like um, never ending story kind of like aesthetic to a lot of the, minor characters like when we get into hell in episode three i believe there's a huge opportunity there and and instead of casting non-humanoid kind of weird puppety characters they just go with like people in prosthetics yeah and that, um, that hell episode like i like the episode but that to me is one of the biggest failings in terms of visuals like you know this is your opportunity to show hell and it's just a lot of mists. Like, I just felt like, really, this is all we're getting? Like, kind of lame. Yeah, it, actually, you know what? Um, some of the notes I have as far as visuals early on, the stuff I did like, and, you know, it, w- it was kind of fleeting, was um, uh, the gates to the dreaming, like, just the sheer scale of them and how um, they have, like, the cool engravings, like when Morpheus first escapes from Earth and he's back in the dream world those gates are like huge ivory. Like they're just impossibly huge. And I love, I love seeing stuff where the scale of like, you know, the character is just minuscule and the gates have all those ornate engravings of like his helm, which is very like HR Geiger, like Xenomorphalian kind of influenced. That was cool. And I think the entrance to hell where we're actual like human bodies are meshed into like the structure of the tunnel that was cool. But then beyond that, I thought it was very, yeah, very misty, very blurry, 
CGI landscapes. But I just I, I want to give some some props to like the art direction of the gates of the dreaming and the entrance to hell. I was really hoping that the, the rest of the series would have that kind of throwback fantasy, like just weirdness, you know, like get some like Jim Henson creature designs in there. I think would have really brought it to a whole new level. Yeah. I mean, I like some of the visuals in hell. Like you said, like I like the entrance to hell. It reminds me of like kind of the, um, like, you know, early paintings of hell. Like I can't remember the name of it, but someone also did that kind of like people partly, um, tied into the hell, like the building or surrounded by it or partly submerged into the walls and stuff like that. I mean, I, I kind of like that quite a bit as well. I mean, that was one of my favorite visuals, but I mean, everything else, the other problem is they use like CGI ness for everything. So everything even yeah. looks like weirder. Like, it's just like, I'm like, you guys can't just do mist on your own. It just feels like everything has this like weird CGI <laughs> <laughs> mist over everything. I mean, that's the like Netflix effect, I guess. Like, uh, yeah budget effect um yeah so as we uh, uh we move into uh episode three this is kind of where we're introduced to uh joanna constantine uh morpheus uh somehow uh from his useless questions to the fates is able to figure out uh, <laughs> uh who has his uh bag of sand and so he, he kind of tracks her down uh Joanna Constantine played by, uh, Jenna Coleman. Uh, I believe she was in Doctor Who for a while. Um, this episode, uh, and she makes an appearance in, in a, in a, in a later episode as well as one of her ancestors, but it almost feels like they introduced this character and cast Jenna Coleman in this role, uh, almost as if to, uh, set up another, uh, Constantine show, like a spinoff. Um, we've had the movie with Keanu Reeves and we had the original Constantine show played by, uh, and he was played by Matt Ryan, uh, who also reprised the role in a bunch of the animated uh, DC stuff. Uh, but, uh, I, I would not be surprised if, uh, if this does, if this continues to do well, that, uh, we might see a, a, a spinoff show, um, which actually, I probably would be a lot more interested in than a second season of, uh, of Sandman. I, I think I would actually prefer to watch, uh, um, you know, like this exorcist go on and, and do some uh, kind of cool shit. But, uh, so he's able to get back his bag of sand because, uh, she has uh, left it with her ex-girlfriend and we kind of see her, uh, the ex-girlfriend has, um, uh, she's kind of suffered from, um, the abuse of the, uh, like the effects of the, of the power and she's all, um, skin and bones and, and in bed. And, and, uh, so he gets the bag of sand back and, uh, uh, reluctantly, um, kind of eases the ex-girlfriend's pain. And we kind of, uh, move on and, and say goodbye to Joanna Constantine for a while. And, uh, the second portion of the episode, we were kind of reintroduced again to, uh, Ethel Cripps. Um, uh, I think in this episode, at some point, um, she also meets the Corinthian because we see him in the very first episode right before Morpheus is, uh, is, uh, sucked away by, uh, Roderick Burgess. But, um, we get a, a conversation between Ethelcrips and Corinthian because he's trying to find, uh, uh, all of the stuff as well. I believe he's looking for the ruby and, uh, uh, Corinthian is played by a guy named, uh, John, uh, uh Boyd, um, 
uh, Boyd Holbrook. Um, I've never heard of uh, this actor before, but this guy was great in this he role. Yeah. He he was he's one of the best uh, people in the show, and he's got three mouths, which is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> he's got eye mouths. Um, but yeah, he um, it. it I think his character, uh, to me, felt most like uh, a comic book character, like because you know he's always smiling and he kind of talks with uh, that smile on his face, uh, super creepy, uh, and uh, one of the most uh, interesting characters in the show. And and I was super uh, looking forward to getting a little more of him um, later on in the series. So what was your uh, initial impression? Like, we didn't get too much of the Corinthian in the first episode, but we, we kind of got a little bit of him uh, in this episode, a little more of him anyway. So, uh, Zach, like, what uh, what was your first impressions of uh, the Corinthian? Yeah, I, I really liked the Corinthian as well. I mean, I... I mean, uh, not to get ahead, but that was probably my favorite favorite secondary character. Um, I mean, I, I really like the visuals of him too. Like, it reminded me a lot of like that kind of cyberpunk feel, especially with the glasses. And then when he takes the glasses off, like you said, like the um, and they didn't overuse that image too. Like, which I what I is which I which is one of the things I liked. That I mean, it wasn't really until the maybe the near the end, maybe the final episode, I think, where you actually see him kind of standing out like for a while without the glasses on. So I think they kind of held on to that. Cause I think it was like a really interesting image. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, maybe it's hard to talk about him because I can't necessarily remember what exactly was just an episode three <laughs> compared to later. Well, but, like the, yeah. he kind of, he showed up at, uh, Ethel Cripp's apartment trying to locate, uh, the Ruby and yeah. uh, she kind of pretended to not really know where it was. And then she said her son had it. Um, and, uh, and she was able to, uh, fend him off because she had that, uh, that, uh, protection amulet, like the eyeball thing. So that's why she had, didn't end up, uh, uh, dead there. Uh, but that's kind of, uh, um, um, his involvement in this episode it was just a, a brief conversation okay. that he had with uh, Ethel Krebs. So, Sean, what did you think of him? Yeah, I liked him as well. Um, I think the the adding of him, if I'm not mistaken, he doesn't show up until like the second graphic novel. So, I think adding him in early was just a little bit of like a TV show thing to be like, hey, this guy's going to come back later. Um, but I, I did like him, and yeah, he was a cool villain. Um, I think, yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I'm trying to think what else I've seen Boyd Holbrook in. He was, uh, he was the main villain in Logan. He was Pierce. Right. The, right. The cyborg. Okay. And he was the lead in the first two seasons of uh, Narcos uh, or okay. Narcos on Netflix, which I love. Uh, he was great in that too. I haven't seen that, but, uh, but yeah, I, I, I thought he was quite good. And uh, I mean, I would say that's maybe one problem with the show overall is, there aren't a ton of characters that have personality that you really, that are super memorable. Uh, and, you know, part of it is like, you know, I, I think you mentioned this Zach with, with Morpheus, like he's not, he feels a bit bland, but I think part of that is he's just sort of like aloof and kind of like above the human world, you know, like he doesn't really get that involved, but I think part of what the show is, is him starting to appreciate some of the human stuff. Uh, but yeah, I just thinking back on it, like 
there's not a ton of characters you latch onto. So Corinthian was definitely a standout. And Nuno, uh, any any uh, other thoughts on Corinthian? Uh, oh, you know what? Just like Sean said, I'm glad that he was introduced early on because, again, in the comic, after reading them, um, he's really not in it that much. He's only in the dollhouse storyline. And so I like that they established him as this background thought threat early on, how he, he comes to Roger Burgess's house, informs him on everything to, that will well, tells him who he actually has. Cause at that point, Roger Burgess doesn't even know which of the ending siblings that he's captured. So I'm pretty sure it was Corinthian who comes and tells him that he needs to um, yeah keep him within the ring or the, the protection ring uh, build, build a glass cage for him make sure no one falls asleep in his presence, all the rules, right? Cause you know, Corinthian wants to remain in the human realm because he's a, he's a, he's a nightmare created by Morpheus or dream. Um, yeah. Again, the casting was perfect. Um, I kind of want to see more of his freaky eyes, but again, it really is better that you only see it towards the end. But, uh, at the yeah. uh, at the uh, so at the end of the third episode, uh, Ethel uh, makes her way to uh, uh, Buffalo, New York. I- I'm assuming to pick up her Bills season tickets <laughs> and and to meet up with Frank and uh, uh, tailgating. Yeah, I mean, not a lot of uh, movie and television uh, is is set in Buffalo, so it was uh, it was kind of interesting to see that is is Buffalo in in the comics at all? It's not actually. Um, I, I like the Buffalo connection. Obviously, we live very close to the border. Um, ever since uh, COVID and the border lockdowns, I've been missing some great Buffalo wings. Uh, <laughs> I'm actually, you know what? This Saturday, I'm really looking forward to it. We're going to the Erie County Fair nice. for, the first, oh, nice. for the first time in like eight years. So when you were um, watching Sandman, were you experiencing big time nostalgia for Buffalo? You're just saying, abso- absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, yeah. So in in the comic, um, Ethel's son John D, he's actually he's an established villain named Doctor Destiny, who appeared in Swamp Thing, which is where Neil Gaiman got his start in writing for DC, and he's also a Justice League villain. Um, so in the comic, all the stuff with John D when he's incarcerated, it's actually an Arkham Asylum. So okay, like, cool. A, a, a good part of volume one, but anytime Ethel, actually Ethel is a very minor character. You see a lot of John, John, and he's, and he's kind of like a narrator as well. You, you get a lot of what his thoughts are and he has conversations with, uh, with Jonathan Crane, Scarecrow in the comic but yes all of his scenes are not in buffalo they're actually in gotham well well, if you told me that dirty gotham city was based on dirty buffalo Buffalo, new york i would not be surprised (laughs) (laughs) but uh it's a perfect standard yes it certainly is so she goes to visit john and uh um kind of talk to him about uh, morpheus is coming for the ruby um so she passes the amulet of protection uh, on to him and she immediately ages and, and dies right there and then he uses the uh, uh the powers to uh escape the uh institution and that's kind of where we leave off with episode three and then episode four is the is the hell uh episode where uh morpheus uh goes to 
speak with uh, Lucifer Morningstar, played by uh, Gwendolyn Christie, another Game of Thrones uh, veteran that's uh, uh, in this show. And uh, he uh, uh, wants to find out which demon has his helm. And when he uh, is able to figure that out, um, he uh, has to make a challenge to uh, uh, get the helm back. And it's uh, it's a war of words between uh, Lucifer and Morpheus, um, which I thought was actually a pretty cool scene and kind of a cool concept to have this kind of a, a battle where... Um, you know, if you had told me that, uh, that, uh, you know, Morpheus was gonna, uh, travel to hell to fight Lucifer to get his helm back, I would expect, you know, something a little more with, you know, fire and brimstone and dragons or, or whatever, beasts of hell. But, uh, I, I thought it was kind of inter- interesting twist to, uh, kind of have this, uh, battle of wits between, uh, uh, the two of them. Um, Sean, what did you think about that? I know you've got some issues with how hell looked, but uh, what went on in hell? How did you feel? Yeah, the, that battle is one of my favorite things in the comic, one of my favorite things in the show. Uh, I just think it's a cool concept. I, I thought they executed it pretty well in, in the show. Uh, and, you know, it just kind of reminds me of like, I don't know, Bilbo Baggins outsmarting Gollum or something like that. Like, you know, you expect some like giant uh, physical battle, but it's just a battle of wits. And, uh, and I like that. And uh, I just just to one other thing about the first four episodes that we haven't really touched on. Actually, I guess it's more like the first six episodes. They are adapting the comics issue by issue, which is kind of an interesting thing. Like very rarely does that happen. I think the final four episodes of the season are more bringing multiple issues in or something. I'm not 100% sure. But just that that idea, like, you know, because people are always like, oh, you can't just adapt a comic directly, but they kind of do it. I, I think they have to fill out some of these episodes because, you know, there's not enough stuff for like a 45 minute episode in one issue sometimes. But uh, it's I don't know, it's just kind of cool. And I think if you're a fan of the comics, I think that's one thing people are digging is that they are pretty faithful. Yeah, you know what? You're absolutely right. Uh, the first three episodes are issue or one issue, issue one, two, and three. Episode four is issues four and five together. Episode five is issues six and seven. Episode six is issues eight and 13. And that's kind of where it skips. Uh, episode seven is uh, uh, issue 10 and 11. Episode eight is issue 12 and 15. Episode nine is issue 14 and episode 10. Uh, there's an adapted part of issue 14 and 16. So yeah, it's like the first 16 episodes, uh, first 16 issues of the comic are the basis of the 10, uh, episodes. Yeah. So they, they, uh, they really did do, uh, one, two, three, and four. That's, that's pretty cool. I, you know, that's a, that's a great point. Um, Nuno, what did you think about the uh, the 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 battle between uh, Lucifer and Morpheus? Yeah, you know what i uh, I enjoyed it very much. I thought it was a great idea. Um, and then after reading um, the actual comic just a few days later and seeing that it was essentially word for word, almost verbatim, and it was you know very it's a very strong idea, executed really well. Um, I wanted to add, I really liked Gwendolyn Christine as Lucifer. 
she had a great presence. And I think Zach had said like something about how reminded him of like certain Renaissance paintings, the look of her, just her, her costuming and her hair, something about her hair. It's just, it, it just, it, she looks very much like a living Renaissance painting. Um, There was something just, I loved. Yeah. Everything about Lucifer was really cool. Um, And yeah, their, their little battle, their, um, their hypothetical kind of like, uh, you know, battle of, of thoughts and words was, was very cool. And uh, yeah, I think hell was something that I really enjoyed in the series. Again, I think it could have been a bit weirder only afterwards reading the comic and seeing that Sam Keith made like, you know, crazy looking creatures. Um, yeah. I think I wanted a bit more weirdness in there, like, but like, I, otherwise, yeah. Like you're Too saying expensive. the well, you know what? I just I, I think I want some Muppets in there. Seriously, like when, when you when you read the comic, you're like, ah, oh, Jim Henson's Creature Shop would have like had a field day. Just would have made it so weird and so out there and otherworldly, you know? Like it just, you know, and it, you know when this comic came out, it was it was the mid to late '80s, so you can see the influence was there of and, like. And uh, Dave McKean did that Mirror Mask movie, wasn't that Henson as well? Oh, you're right. Yes. Yeah. Oh, and that reminds me, just on the topic of Dave McKean, I didn't know this until afterwards. Apparently, he did all the end credit sequences for the show. I heard about that. Apparently, he is retired, and he came out of retirement for Neil Gaiman to design the end credits. Yeah, which I I can't even really remember what they look like, but because Netflix just pushes you to the next episode you, right away you, you, you literally have three seconds and then the next episode plays right <laughs> yeah, that's so lame yeah see i i have a, mine actually set to not jump to oh, the really? next episode yeah oh, nice cool because I, I hate when that happens because like sometimes you just need time to process what you just watched before um you know, and like there's that sense of panic when that uh, circle is going around before the next episode as you're fumbling to find the remote to put it on pause. I hate that. Um, uh, Zach, any other thoughts on uh, the the battle in hell? Yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, like, Nuno, you're saying that um, it was like word for word, pretty much the, the same type of thing. It, it seemed like it, like, uh, when, when, like everything they said and then the actual like wording where they say like uh, a hunter on horse or uh, a stabbing snake killing yeah, yeah, yeah. hunter on horseback, like just the way it's, it's phrased. Yeah. It, it seemed verbatim to me. Yeah. I mean, I, I really like the idea of it. The only, the only thing is like at the end when um, I can't remember how she attacks him, but then his response is like, or it's a, I think it's a poisonous thing. And then he responds, what, what defeats like that? And it's like hope. And I was like, bullshit hope doesn't beat <laughs> hope doesn't beat shit um well yeah because she, she said anti-life to destroy yeah, the yeah, universe yeah, and yeah. he said hope i was like and and then as you watch the rest of the series this guy doesn't have any hope he's miserable like <laughs> <laughs> but i was like i was thinking neil G- gaiman wouldn't have written hope did he he did oh no yeah because <laughs> <laughs> i thought that was just like a really cheesy moment i mean I, I think maybe it was the visuals of that scene too like where it's just like this light from like <laughs> shining from above and he's like hope i can't remember if there was like a dove but it felt like 
<laughs> a dove flies off or something. <laughs> and I was like, oh no, <laughs> like <laughs> please. Um, yeah, so I hope, don't know. I hope, mean, it, hope is for suckers. <laughs> I think that was my takeaway. Uh, no, there's there's no hope in hell. That's no. the thing. Oh yeah, that's the thing. Yeah. Um, which you guys will find out at some point. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. I'll save you a seat. Um, as we get into uh, episode uh, five, uh, which I like to refer to as the diner episode, uh, I think this episode uh, might have been like. Uh, 50 minutes of some of the best uh, television that I've ever watched. Whoa. I, I just <laughs> I thought this, like, because uh, it took, like, a, a turn from, uh, in in tone from the first four episodes. Like, the first four episodes, you know, like, it was, you know, dark and gloomy. And, like, this episode was, like, a horror movie. Like, it was super creepy. Uh, it was like very bloody and violent and gory and uh, not at all anything that I was uh, expecting. Uh, but I thought, I thought this was tremendous television. What did you guys think? I agree. Probably, probably my favorite thing in the show. Uh, and I, I, I guess, you know, it is thinking of it as a horror movie. Like, yeah, it's definitely, it gets to some darker places, but I think what I like about it, you know, the show up until that point is mostly about the gods or whatever. What, what is Morpheus and endless? So yes. Yeah. Endless. Yeah. So it's more about these beings that are like above it all and kind of their squabbles and stuff. But I really liked that. Now you're getting down to human level and you're kind of seeing things just influencing humans a little bit and kind of playing with them as like, as toys almost. And, uh, and, and the idea that these are all new characters, like you're introduced to all of these characters. And in the span of the episode, you start to care about all of them and they're all flushed out quite well. Like it's, it is a very strong single episode of television. I would agree. You know, no, no, what do you think? Yeah. You know what? Um, yeah. Um, now it, it's been a while and, you know, a lot of the episodes kind of blend together, but, did this episode start with a day with death and then go into the diner or is this? No, the- that, that episode six. So episode oh. five was John going into the diner. Oh yeah. That's so the, the entire episode was, was the 24 seven diner. Okay. All right. Sorry. Yes. I, I, I was getting them mixed yes. up. Like I thought they were mixed together. Okay. Um, I mean, yeah, you know what? Just starts with him leaving the place, right? Uh, leaving the hospital? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's yeah. right. Okay. Yeah, that that's then he ends up uh 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 in this diner and uh he's got the the ruby which uh uh makes everybody's dreams come true and he's got the the amulet of protection and he, he just, you know, he starts talking to people and and trying to get honesty out of everybody and and everybody that's in in this entire diner is kind of infected with only being honest and uh just like the the craziest plot twists which uh, i just i I wasn't expecting uh uh, of of these uh seemingly normal folksy buffalo people uh (laughs) 
you know, and uh, by the end of the episode, it's just a bloodbath. Um, and as, as John just kind of sits there and, and, and takes it all in and kind of watches how everybody kind of destroys themselves and each other, um, just, I guess, just to see if he could do it, which was, uh, which was pretty crazy. And, um, I don't think, I think there's, there's no Morpheus until the very end of the episode. So like, like the first 35 minutes, uh, the only character we really know is, uh, is John, is John D. And, uh, yeah, I just, uh, this was easily my favorite part, uh, uh, of the series. So uh, Zach, what did you think of this episode? Yeah, I'm in this. I, I thought the same as, as you. I thought this was probably one of the best ones, probably my favorite episode. That one, this one, and the next episode were both probably my favorites. Um, I think they, I, I really, that was the first episode, that was the first episode that I think really grabbed me in terms of the narrative was that, um, was in episode five where you start to see this, uh, kind of change in the narrative. Um, so I think, uh, <laughs> I don't. I, I completely forgot. You, you, you screwed me up, Greg. <laughs> sorry, sorry, man. I lost my internet connection. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I'll just say that I, I liked episode five. <laughs> Fair yeah, enough. yeah. You know what? I'll, I'll jump in too because I, I, I was getting the episodes mixed up. Um, I love David Thewlis as John D. Mm. Um, I liked. Yeah, this episode was fantastic. I know it's a fan favorite based on. Uh, like the Twitter reactions of people reminiscing about reading the original comic back in uh, you know when it when they first read it as being just a, a real twisted shocking story kind of like a, a dark fable um, and yeah it, you introduce all of these new characters um, I think it's a better adaptation than how it appears in the comic um, and uh, yeah it's uh it's got a lot of surprises and yeah, just, it plays out very interestingly. And yeah, I, it's bittersweet because I think it's the last episode with David Thewlis yes. as John D and he was one of my favorite parts. Like I, I, I'm a big fan of that actor. Um, probably from like the Fargo TV series. He was like, um, he was amazing he, in that. He was a really good antagonist in like season two, I believe. Yeah. The yeah, terrible so, teeth. Yes, and he's always picking at like the holes in his teeth. Oh yeah. Mm. Such, I mean, yeah. I think I think what I really liked about that episode is that I really didn't even understand where it was going or what it was doing because it just seemed so out of place with what came before it. So I was kind of like I was really enthralled with it because I was just was like, Oh, this is so unusual in terms of the story and it's going in a completely different direction. And I kind of after like it, there is kind of like at the end of episode four, you kind of are left. I was left feeling a little bit like, um, like is this series over? Because I thought that his recovery of those, like his um, different, um, like his helmet and, and the sandbag, I thought that was going to be the whole narrative essentially. But then this one kind of really took in a different direction that I, I quite liked. So as we, uh, move into, uh, episode six, like this is kind of, uh, uh, well, at the, at the end of episode five, uh, Morpheus uh, shows up after John has kind of convinced all these people to murder each other or commit suicide. Uh, and, uh, um, 
John thinks he's kind of got Morpheus uh, defeated by uh, crushing the the ruby in his hand, uh, which in turn actually just gives its power back to Morpheus. And so John sends him back to uh, um, the institution uh, and to a state of long-term sleep uh, to live the rest of his life in uh, beautiful Buffalo, New York. Um, and then this is kind of where... Uh, I think this is where we're introduced to uh, Morpheus' uh, sibling, Desire, and we're kind of uh, figuring out that uh, Desire is, is kind of the one who's kind of behind a lot of all this stuff. So uh, episode six is is the one that's kind of split into two parts, uh, uh, almost as good for me as episode five. I thought this was also a tremendous episode of television. Um, like uh, the first half... Uh, uh, Morpheus and his uh, sister, uh, death are together and kind of, uh, just kind of walking together as she visits all these people who are dying and then, uh, leading their souls away. Um, and, and, and really kind of a, like a, such a, a crazy contrast from the end of the previous episode, uh, where again, it was all, uh, murder and suicide. And, and a lot of this stuff in episode six was, was very peaceful. And then the, the second half of the episode is where we're, we're introduced, uh, uh, to a, a person named, uh, Hob, uh, um, Hob, uh, I can't remember what his last name is. Uh, but, uh, who, uh, Morpheus meets centuries ago and agrees to meet this person every 100 years in the pub uh, that they're at. And it's kind of their, I guess their, their friendship over the next uh, few hundred years and how Morpheus being imprisoned for a century kind of uh, affected their, their meetups, uh, you know, two halves for an episode. Uh, uh, both I thought were, were really well written. Um, and uh, compelling television. Uh, uh, Zach, what did you think about uh, episode uh, six with the two stories? Um, yeah, uh, I agree. I mean, I think it was another one of my favorites. I, um, and I mean, I, I, you know, I, I think you were saying before, this was essentially two comic books. I mean, I thought they flowed pretty well because I think they brought up um, Hob, whatever. I can't remember Hob. No one, no, no. Hob Gadling. Gadling. Yeah. Was, yeah. Okay. Um, and uh, so I, I, they kind of brought it up and then I, I kind of was curious to see where it goes. And I mean, they both connected to, in terms of um, talking about his kind of loneliness or his alienation, which um, I mean, I also liked it that I guess it was the closest you get to like some character development in terms of Sandman, because Although, like, he's, like, depressed or kind of a bit uh, disconnected from after being kidnapped, um, you don't really see that in terms of his character in the first maybe four episodes, I don't think, until maybe at that moment where you kind of see him perhaps um, a sense of, like, a, a difference in terms of the character that's not just, like, focused on getting back his material, but kind of... Um, maybe a bit emotional too, or something. This is where the emo part comes out, I guess, is the, um, he's going full emo mode. Do you know what you think? Um, you know what? It was, it was okay. You know what? It, it wasn't my favorite episode. 
Um, maybe the stuff with with death. It seems like I've seen I've seen this somewhere before. The whole the whole like um you know death being an anthrop- anthropomorphic being who is talking to someone and then they realize oh that's me dead over there like it's weird I I couldn't put my finger on it I don't know if it was like Beavis oh no not Beavis but <laughs> Run and Stimpy no no um oh my gosh Bill and Ted's bogus journey like is there a point where they're looking down at their dead bodies or mm, I don't know yeah I think so I think or, right. or or yeah, I don't know. Just the whole idea of like, you don't realize you're dead. Like a lot of the people, it kind of seemed a bit repetitive. So the people were like, oh, that was a close call or, you know, yeah. and then you look back and you're like, oh, I'm actually dead. Um, it seemed like I've seen this before. There was something kind of like maybe overly sentimental. I wasn't really getting a lot of the human condition, especially when it, it worked its way into the hob story. Yes, you know, he comes, he meets him every hundred years because Hob is saying, oh, you know, I I don't want to die. People just die because they're, you know, they're a bunch of rubes and they're, they think they're supposed to die. I didn't get a sense of like, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm alone here, but I didn't get a sense that there was a lot to say about humanity or about his experiences given that it takes what it's like almost 600 years. I think it's like from 1389. Um, the one thing I did like, which is probably just the benefit of, um, of, uh, of, of the series taking place in 2022 is that he misses the 1989 meetup. And with, with, uh, with Hobbs amazing with, with, uh, giant phone. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. Um, the one thing I liked about that is that in 1889, Hobbes says to Dream, I think the only reason why you want to meet me is because of companionship and you're lonely. And Morpheus takes offense to this and says, you know, how dare you? I'm one of the endless, blah, blah, blah. And, and so Hobbes says, if, if, well, if I see you in 100 years from now, it's because I'm actually your friend. And so it's cool that in 1989, unlike the comic in this Netflix adaptation, um, he actually can't see him because he's imprisoned. And so Hob probably thinks, oh, I've been stood up. But then he comes back in 2022 and lo and behold, even though it's not on the date that they usually meet, Hob is there. Um, But yeah, um, it was okay. Again, I, I thought after the darkness of the 20, the 24 hour uh, diner episode, the death stuff seemed a bit hokey for some reason. It just wasn't working for me. It was a little cheesy. I admit like it was like, I mean, in the original comic, was it this death as like hopeful and like helping people go to basically. Yeah. Yeah. I mean like um, death is the only character I've, I'm really familiar with. I mean, when I was younger and I first started reading because again, I, I collected the, um, she had her own spinoff miniseries and yes, yeah, she's um, even though she's older than, than, uh, than dream, she's always depicted as being youthful, um, very, very emotive 
Um, just kind of like free spirited. And again, also very, very, very goth, right? She's mm. like, um, she wears the, the alk around her neck. And, I mean, in this one, she's kind of like a social worker, essentially. Like she's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> no, I, again, um, after it, she it dresses is, like a social yeah, worker for sure. It, it it is almost word for word. <laughs> like so much of the interaction to so many of the characters, like the guy playing soccer, um, the old uh, Jewish guy playing violin. It's all almost verbatim from okay. the comic. But her character, yeah, her character is, I think the one sibling who death, who, who dream is closest to. Um, he's the only one that he actually has uh, feelings for and gets along with. And again, even though she's the older sibling, she, her physical appearance in the books, at least is that she looks very young, um, kind of like sprite, like but with a goth kind of um, exterior, I guess. Sean, what about you? What do you think of episode six? Yeah, I liked it quite a bit. I think, uh, so the first half, like reading it in the comic, which I, I, I read that before I saw the show. And I remember just thinking this was a really unique one-off issue. Like nothing really happens. Like, like you were saying, Zach, it's just kind of a character episode where you learn a bit about dream and you start to understand his kind of role and, and, and what existence I guess is like for him to some degree. But then the second half I was really surprised with because I didn't realize I hadn't read that issue yet. And I thought, Oh, they just wrote this extra second half for the TV show. And I was like, this is amazing. What the heck? And of course it is from like a later issue. Uh, but I, I really like the second half personally. And I think, you know, it is just this idea that he starts off thinking that, you know, hum- why would a human want to live more than a hundred years? Like humanity sucks and existence sucks. And then this guy is constantly coming back with new experiences. And, and even when it's like bad, he's like, no, I, I, I still kind of want to see what happens. I want to stick around. And then it's only when he finally realizes that he actually enjoys this guy's companionship that he's like, Oh, okay. I'm starting to get this human thing. So that I thought was, was really cool. And uh, yeah, again, just as a short story of sorts, uh, very cool. And this is the episode where uh, uh, the ancestor of uh, uh, Joanna Constantine shows up uh, again as well. Um, once again, uh, force feeding us Jenna Coleman, preparing us for her spinoff show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? There is another Constantine show in development at HBO Max right now, but I don't know if it is getting canceled because of all the craziness that's going on there right now or what. But uh, everything seems to be getting canceled from um, the HBO Max side. Like uh, almost all the stuff associated with the the DC uh, universe. Uh, is being kind of stopped like most of their animated stuff and uh, a lot of their, their shows. So, and uh, once again, they are, uh, I think for the third or fourth time setting up the 10 year plan to be similar <laughs> to the Marvel cinematic universe. So they just can't seem to get things going. Like these are some of the most well-known and popular characters in, in history. And uh, they just can't really seem to uh, figure them out. Yeah, uh, it, it's uh, it's really funny. Um, 
David S. Goyer and Neil Gaiman, they actually approached HBO Max because um, after decades of failed attempts of making a feature film in in the age of streaming, I think David S. Goyer and Neil Gaiman were like, the Sandman would only work as a streaming service, you know, high end, you know, prestige, prestige, uh, stream dream supreme or whatever you want to call it. Um, <laughs> I, I tried to coin that, Sean. You don't have to take it, but no, I know that's, that, good. that's good. I, I, I know there's a debate. Like, what do you, what do you call streaming stuff? So anyway, um, and, and HBO max, oddly enough, because you know, they, they essentially own all the characters already. Right. Um, they turned down the Sandman. Um, this is obviously long before the Discovery Plus merger, but uh, because of the budget. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, mean, I, I, one, I know. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> one thing I admire about Netflix is that they will finance virtually anything that comes across their desk. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Though there's budget or penny crunching. I mean, the, 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 uh, they definitely will cut down on stuff, but uh, on budgets. But I mean, they will produce any anything that they come across. They have no uh, quality control, <laughs> so yep. you get some like surprises with that. Um, so we we kind of lean into uh, uh, I guess like the third uh, story arc of season one and and the next four episodes, and uh, we're introduced to like a dozen new characters uh-huh. <laughs> uh, and like um uh like this this it it was uh, a lot to to take in and and uh um especially in four episodes uh, like a lot a lot happened uh the 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 best part is that we got uh a lot of the corinthian in these four episodes and so he was like super entertaining but uh, essentially we're introduced to uh uh Rose Walker and her brother Jed uh back in 2015 and they're they're kind of split up after their parents uh divorce and uh 6 years later uh both of the parents uh, are deceased and Rose is attempting to try to find uh her brother who was uh she thought assumed at the time was uh put into uh foster care we find out that Rose is uh, a vortex, and that uh, that she's also the the great granddaughter of Unity Kincaid, who was a character that we met uh, sort of in the first episode uh, as one of the the people suffering from the sleepy sickness when uh, Morpheus was imprisoned. Um, how she had uh, children, we find out later on, uh, which is. A little disturbing, uh, but uh, actually, there's a lot disturbing in these last four episodes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, all uh, kind of uh, tied into the serial uh, convention, which we will uh, uh, discover a little bit later on. So, um, episode seven again, we, we're we're hit with a ton of new characters: Rose and uh, her brother, and uh, her mother, and. And, uh, her great grandmother and all these, uh, wacky people living in this, uh, zany household in Florida, uh, which seems very appropriate for Florida. And, uh, so all this stuff were kind of, is kind of thrown at us. 
and uh, and we still have to find time to get Morpheus and Lucian and and all the other uh, regular characters in this episode. Uh, so, like, Sean, what did what did you think of the uh, beginning of this next uh, story arc? Yeah, I I mean, this section is my least favorite of the show. You know, it does get back to like more of a serialized story. So each episode leads into the next and you are there there is a plot that's pulling you along a bit but I did feel I hadn't read the comic before I watched these so I felt very uh disoriented and I just think yeah there was a lot of stuff going on and maybe maybe they needed like an extra episode to to let things breathe a bit more um but yeah I agree the best thing is probably Corinthian being in there uh one minor weird thing um you know the fact that there there were some dc characters in the first few issues in the comics and then we were talking about how they adapted those characters out because they don't have the rights to those characters but then there is a weird little dc reference moment where jed is like dreaming that he's a superhero and you get like like the the flash like uh, uh, not not quite not quite. Uh, so like he like okay so uh there there are there are two different ages or actually there's quite a few different ages of, of comics so like there's the golden age of dc comics and like the silver age so the, like the golden age uh, is like is like uh you know all the comics from like the 30s and the 40s and uh um when they introduced the like the 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 silver age of comics um they kind of took uh like the superman batman and wonder woman from the 30s and 40s com- comic books and kind of gave them a separate uh parallel uh universe uh what they called earth 2 in the comics so like all the like the smiley batman and superman comics from the 1930s like those characters lived in earth 2 and the stuff that from like the 70s and the 80s and the justice league of america that was all like our earth 1 and so uh if you uh there there is a golden age sandman who had a sidekick named sandy the golden boy uh so if you google image right now sandy the golden boy you will find uh the inspiration to jed's uh costume okay Uh, so take a moment and do that nice (laughs) yeah the 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 red and the yellow yes so uh that is the inspiration for uh that. Now on the other part we're introduced to uh uh Rose's friend uh Lyda, Lyda Hall and uh and her her dead husband uh, Hector Hall. Now uh to get more into the the DC Comics territory here uh Lyda whose first name is Hippolyta last name Trevor, is the daughter of the Golden Age Wonder Woman and Steve Trevor. Oh, okay. And and Hector Hall is the son of the Golden Age Hawkman and Hawk Girl. And they are characters who are from Earth 2 and during the whole Crisis on Infinite Earths storyline from the from the uh, late '80s, uh, they were kind of enveloped into the one DC Comics universe, and uh, 
they were characters that wanted to take the place of their parents in the Justice Society of America. And essentially they were not good enough. So they and uh, all the other children of all the other golden age, like Green Lantern and all that, uh, formed their own superhero team. Uh, essentially just a bunch of losers. Uh, um, uh, Lightest character name was Fury and Hector Hall's uh, char- character name was the Silver Scarab. And they were led by a guy named the Star Spangled Kid. And if you Google the Star Spangled Kid, he also has a terrible costume. <laughs> but uh, so I just um, I found it interesting that uh, uh, Neil Gaiman was able to take these you know, established DC superhero characters uh, and kind of bring them into like his comics is just like regular people who had kind of uh, retired. Like, I don't know if they ever referenced their superhero past in any of the Sandman comics, uh, but I did find it interesting that he used like these characters that still kind of tied in to some of the other DC heroes and how, you know, uh, John D was from the swamp thing and how he kind of pulled just like weird stuff from the DC universe. I don't know if it was just meant to maybe make DC happy to kind of tie everything into like their one world or whatever. Uh, but, uh, uh, yeah, like I so saw, I found it super interesting that, uh, they had these, these characters in this show and that really made no reference. Um, yeah, it, and- it doesn't make a lot of sense, but like, even like I'm talking about, like, there was like a picture of like captain cold in the background at one point. Right. Like it looked that- just like him. I'd, yeah, I agree. So I don't like I, I I was like assuming they didn't have the rights to any of these characters and maybe you can just put a picture of them in there and it's no big deal but like I just don't I don't know it was weird. I mean like, this was still a Warner Brothers production right like the Warner Brothers logo was at the beginning of each episode. I guess that's true. Yeah. So I mean maybe that doesn't matter. Yeah. So I guess as long as they are some sort of involved in some way that they're able to to use uh, the character names and. uh you know, we got a slight twist on the costume of Sandy, the golden boy. <laughs> Man. Yeah. There that, you go. That, yeah. That, that, that costume, like, again, it was, uh, it's exactly the same costume as Sandy, the golden boy, but also, um, I guess Jack Kirby in the seventies, yes. he went, he, he actually relaunched Sandman as a superhero wearing that exact same costume, yes. the yellow and the red. Because I guess, like, yeah, Neil Gaiman, when he was able to do Sandman, it's actually the third iteration it of, of the character with that name. And he was told, you know, like, well, when he, when he was pitching himself to do, like, his own series at DC, the editor told him, um, yeah, you use a classic character, but make it a new character. But he, he, he still kept in fragments of the old lore. Of like, yeah, like you said, the Golden Age and Silver Age Sandman as well. So there's a lot of information that you guys probably never wanted to have, but uh, now you'll never <laughs> yeah. forget Sandy the Golden Boy. I went yeah. down the same the same rabbit hole, like you know, just learning about Lita Hall and all that. It's it's crazy. I spent so much time online yeah. just reading all of this stuff I wasn't aware of. Well, that's what's weird about it is that when you watch it it seems like she's a major character, but her character is like insignificant in terms of the story, I think like, yeah. Um, but it does seem like it's a character that has some backstory that maybe gets left out about why she's in it in this episode, in like these episodes. 
So, I mean, what you're explaining kind of makes sense in terms of like, you, you should have some pre-existing knowledge on these characters to, to a certain extent or, and, and, you know, being introduced to all these, uh, children from the golden age superheroes, it really shows that like those golden age superheroes really liked, to uh, fuck because they, they clearly, they had all these kids and like, they're they well, with, with those costumes. Oh I mean, yeah. No. I mean, <laughs> yeah, well, um, they were constantly the, uh, horny. yeah, the, the original Huntress was the offspring of the golden age batman and catwoman yes yeah. and, and, and until they, re- they, they rewrote her origin which is what we saw in birds of prey yes essentially yeah. but uh yeah they've they've rewritten so many of the origins of some of these characters that they've kind of uh adapted uh back into their their one universe but uh yeah no sandy the golden boy right now like <laughs> clearly should have his own comic but that maybe that's just me um <laughs> Okay, so uh, we kind of uh, get an idea of, of of what this next arc is, and uh, it's essentially is Rose is trying to find her brother Jed and trying to track him down. At the same time, the Corinthian is trying to do the same thing because he wants to get a hold of Rose and try to convince her to kill Morpheus, and uh, so he's trying to uh, help Jed get uh, back to Rose and in 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 that way to get them. Uh, uh, to get them on his side. And we also get this side plot of, uh, uh, the Corinthian meeting a whole bunch of these serial killers who get together, uh, for this, uh, convention, um, every year. Um, you think at some point the authorities would get wind of this, <laughs> but, uh, so we meet a, a lot of disturbing people with, uh, uh, interesting, uh, uh, code names. And, uh, we get a lot of, a lot of murders, uh, more murders in these last four episodes. And, and we kind of, um, uh, everything kind of comes together in this big, uh, um, kind of this, this argument between Corinthian and Morpheus who are trying to convince Rose, uh, what to do and how, uh, um, how she, she is going to be responsible for, for the destruction of, 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 of the, of the dream world and all this stuff. And so, um, yeah, like there was a lot going on in these four episodes and, uh, you know, I I find it, I found it difficult to really get into too much. And, um, you know, the, 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 fat bearded pedophile guy kind of uh, upset me a little bit. I didn't really want to uh, learn too much more of, of that guy. Uh, we got way too much of him. Um, but, uh, like Zach, what did you think of like the kind of the, this, this final, uh, story arc, which, you know, uh, essentially just was the, like the last three and a half uh, episodes. Yeah. I mean, I think we all kind of agreed to a certain extent, or we said in the intro that it was kind of our least favorite part of it. I think it's a little bit of a wet noodle just because of maybe where it was coming from and where it seemed to be going. Um, I mean, it, it kind of, it kind of seems to be a little bit insignificant too, is maybe part of it is that like her story about the vortex maybe doesn't sound that, interesting and it makes it seem a little bit like she could be the end of the world but then not really and so i don't know it it just kind of felt tonally quite a bit different from like where it was like i would have liked it to be a bit darker in terms of this material too like i mean even though like there's the serial killer convention like 
it still was kind of like a little bit of a comedic yes. <laughs> serial killer convention. It wasn't like a, well, it is called a serial convention. Yeah, I know. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, um, we, when, uh, when she was, uh, you know, when she gets to Florida, she stays in this, I guess it's an Airbnb of some sort. And she meets mm-hmm. a whole bunch of interesting characters. There's, uh, the person that owns the house, uh, who's a, a drag queen. And I think, uh, two, is it goth sisters that have like the largest collection of, uh, of stuffed spiders. And, uh, there's a, a young, uh, couple named, uh, Ken and Barbie. And, uh, and yeah, so, um, I think one of the, the parts that I found really funny about, uh, as, as this whole, uh, uh, plot line is kind of getting towards its conclusion and, and Rose is invading all the, the dreams of all these people. And, and, uh, you know, she, like the, the owner of the house is, uh, is doing a, a, a drag thing on Broadway. Like, cause that's his dream. And then we see Jed as, as, uh, as Sandman in the red and yellow again. And, uh, we see the two sisters who are kind of stuck reciting the same poem over and over again. And then we get, uh, Ken and Barbie and Ken's dream, of course, is is getting ahead from a strange woman in his car but barbie has this weird dream where she's like some sort of explorer and she has it looked like like the dog from the never-ending story that had like a british accent and a mustache it was real weird martin ten bones man martin martin ten bones that's right (laughs) i was like what the hell is going on here there was so much happening in these last few episodes yeah, I uh, guess there is a bit of weirdness. Uh, you know, we were talking about maybe the show could have been weirder, but you know, there, it has a few moments, I guess. <laughs> it's I mean, a different. I, yeah, yeah, sorry. I wanted more of Martin Tenbones at the end of it. I was like, this is the most interesting character in these last four episodes. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead, Nuno. Yeah, I, I think um, I think this is the introduction of the Dream Vortex and Rose Walker and her orbit of characters that we all meet as well. I think it was a little much. Um, this kind of felt like it could have been a second season onto itself because out of nowhere, like, I mean, yeah, you're throwing, I couldn't stand any of the Florida roommates. To tell you the truth. <laughs> yeah. there, was, uh, there was this really um, saccharine kind of like G rated touched by an angel kind of like, <laughs> like, like horrible family oriented syndicated, garbage um like just stench coming from everything except the corinthian and the serial killers who seek him out for the serial convention um it like was all, exactly like sabrina the teenage witch right like <laughs> like, 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 the, like the, the, the sitcom yeah <laughs> yeah yeah it, it was there was something weird about it i i kind of expected that okay there's something really fishy about all of these strange Florida roommates. They've all got to be serial killers too. Like I thought for sure those two stories were going to converge. Cause I'm like, these people are so fucking annoying. I, I, I hope there's, I, I hope they're secretly evil. Like it was just insane how, how much of a tonal mess it became. And um, like, even like, like there are uh, like when we meet, we meet Stephen Fry's character Gilbert in the alley, like just the something about the performance from the muggers 
and from Jed's foster parents. Like everyone is dialed to 11. Like it's just really corny um, coming off of like, you know, great characters and performers from the first half of the series. Like, you know, the actors portraying John D and Ethel Cripps and uh, the, and uh, Roderick Burgess, like you're getting, you know, and everyone in hell, you're getting some top notch performances, great characters. Then when we meet Rose Walker, it's all exposition. People are just telling you everything. Like I think Lita Hall has the worst line of dialogue (laughs) in the entire series. I think, um, so she looks like she's in her twenties. Right. And when someone, when she says, Oh, my husband passed away and they say, Oh, I'm so sorry. She goes, Oh, don't be. We met at architecture school and then we got married and then we started our own architecture firm. So we had a lot of years together. And I was like, what the fuck was that? Like, <laughs> and I'm like, you're, you're like in your early twenties. It's okay that your husband like died like tragically. You're like, no, 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 I'm good. We had a long time together. Like I could not believe what was going on. Like in that episode, everyone she meets is like, Oh, Hey, yeah, I'm from New York and now I live here and now I inherited this house and I want to one day be like everyone was just telling Rose everything about them. And I think in the comic, I I read, I watched the first few episodes and then read the Dollhouse comic. And in the Dollhouse comic, Rose Walker has a bit more edginess to her. She's not as open and trusting and kind of like um, this Rose Walker is just she's a bit too nice and yeah, something about the tone and the characters outside of Stephen Fry and the Corinthian. I really couldn't stand anyone. And again, Morpheus became like a background character until the finale. I think. Yeah. Like he didn't have much to do uh, at all uh, in those uh, uh, last few uh, episodes like so the the, the story essentially uh, uh wraps up when it's discovered that uh, uh unity kincaid who is the great grandmother realizes that she was supposed to be the vortex and so she's already super old so they do this ridiculous passing of the vortex powers through like this acrylic heart that uh uh Rose pulled out of her chest and gave to her great grandmother. And then so Morpheus, uh, ends her life and, uh, Rose and uh, her brother get to live happily ever after with the rest of the people in the dollhouse with all of her great grandmother's money. And, uh, that's kind of how it, uh, those characters kind of wrapped up their thing. And then, um, we kind of cut back to, uh, um, uh, Morpheus kind of taking care of the Corinthian and, and, uh, killing him and uh, realizing that he has to start over on a new nightmare and um um, um morpheus uh, uh recreates a uh, galt who was a nightmare that uh was was helping jed uh for a while and uh he kind of creates recreates her into a dream and uh so we got a lot of uh saccharin at the end until uh uh morpheus decides to uh uh visit uh desire and uh uh confront him on his uh schemes and uh you know and basically that i think that, that kind of sets up the uh 
the potential second season if there uh, if there's going to be a season two. I don't know if they've announced uh, uh, anything for season two uh, yet. And then uh, uh, the very last part of the last episode is uh, is Lucifer uh, being uh, uh, approached by all of the Dukes of Hell and saying that she is going to uh, take revenge on 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 Morpheus. And that's kind of where we wrap up. So uh, like overall, um, you know, like, for for me, like the I wasn't too into the first two episodes and I, I find the, the middle portion, uh, for me was the best by far. Uh, and the, 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 the final arc, um, you know, it, it wasn't great, um, but beyond, uh, uh, the Corinthian himself. Um, but, uh, so overall, like Sean, what was your, your, your feeling on, on the show? Yeah, I mean, I liked it. It's weird because I feel like you get a real uh, cross-section of what the potential of Sandman is. And, you know, again, it's one of those things that people have said for years is unfilmable, unadaptable. And I think, you know, in that respect, they did a pretty good job. They pulled it off. But, you know, I think those last four episodes show where things can go wrong and how kind of silly and you know that all of this stuff can be if if the tone's not right uh so yeah i mean I, I would say overall i liked it but and and i did actually like that tease at the end like the thought of lucifer coming back and being like a a, a villain for season two i'm kind of like oh i i, I check that out so yeah i mean i'm positive on the show i think there's some great stuff in there but you know overall it was it was good not great zach what do you think yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat. I, I I liked it. I would have liked to see a bit more consistency in terms of it. I mean, it's, I guess it's kind of weird. I mean, it's kind of, I, I don't know if it's necessarily unadaptable, but I think if you're going to make it into a TV series, you kind of have to rethink how you're going to tell the story to a certain extent and whether that means like cutting out certain characters or what, or, I mean, it, it's also, it's like this just focus on the first two episodes. So, you know, you know, are they going to make another season? I, I, I probably don't think they will. Um, but that's just me, but, um, it's, do, it's doing well for Netflix apparently in terms of like being number one on, you know, their yeah. top 10 and all that stuff, but who knows? What yeah. That I, I mean, it seems like it's one of those projects that's perhaps too big of a budget for what you're getting. And I have a feeling Netflix probably won't pay to continue that in the future especially with all the competition and everything. So, you know, if it's not going to do an extra season, like, I mean, it, it might be better just to rethink how you're going to tell the story in a more, in a different, in a different way. So I think, I think it's just a matter of like, it, I think just trying to combine two different separate books, it just makes a very uneven story arc. Um, because even as a viewer, it's very hard to navigate what's, like happening in terms of the narrative and where things are going to go in the future. So like, I didn't, I never really had that moment where I was like, this is like, although I liked every episode, I never, it's not a show that I wanted to binge. Like I watched one episode and then I was like, okay, that's good enough. Like, I don't want to necessarily continue for today. Um, and I think what you want to do is develop some singular plot line that's maybe leading towards something. Yeah, I mean that thing though is like I think the comic and and I don't know if has anybody read past book two like 
Nuno, have no. you read any of the other ones? No, no I'm not, not sure. I assume that it continues to be some standalone stories, some kind of arcs, and that's kind of what's unique about it. But that is also going against what you expect from a TV show where you usually have something pulling you through every single episode, cliffhangers, making you come back and all that kind of stuff. Nuno, uh, final thoughts. Yeah, I think um, it was too faithful of, of an adaptation of the comic. Um, in some ways you got some strengths from that. And I think mostly the weaknesses kind of outweigh it. It is kind of, uh, shapeless and kind of meandering at points. Um, I know that thinking, you know, adding on to the whole idea of long-term, how do you tell the story? They were so faithful in adapting two books in 10 episodes. There are nine other books to adapt. I mean, is, does Netflix have a commitment or the budget or the do fans have an interest for essentially five seasons, five seasons, if they continue adapting that closely. Um, yeah. Uh, there are a lot of things I liked and a lot of things I didn't like. Um, it feels like it probably could have been, could have been updated a bit more in some ways and kind of trimmed the fat here and there to kind of get, an actual TV show. Cause yeah, it does not feel bingeable. I think I'm more inspired to read the rest of the comics now. Yeah, definitely. When I was watching, I was like, uh, I feel like I'm missing something. I want to read the comic books more than anything else. Sean, what's your rating on the show? Out of five. Uh, I'm going to give it a three and a half. Zach. You know what? I was going to say the same thing. I was going to say 3.5, but I might say a 3.75. Nuno? I was between... uh, I'll go three. I'll just keep it at three. I think I'm going to give it a a 2.5. Oh. Yeah. This show was (laughs) rough. Um, (laughs) All right. Let's uh, get into our uh, uh, superlatives, and uh, we'll uh, uh, start with uh, uh, favorite uh, secondary character, Sean. Well, uh, <clears throat> might have spoiled this one already. It's got to be Martin Ten Bones, baby. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. Uh, Nuno? Um, the Corinthian was a bit too easy. I mean, he was my favorite, but I did really like John D. I liked how they actually, um, one of the improvements was they added more to his character, uh, actually making him the son of uh, of Roderick Burgess. I'm pretty sure is not from the comic. So the, making Ethel Cripps a bigger character and tying the first anta- antagonist of the series, even though he departs in episode five or six. Um, yeah, everything, everything about him was great. They also, um, added more to his, uh, his protection amulet in the comic. You get no sense of what it does. That cool thing where people, if they shoot or try to harm him, how they kind of like explode, explode, land in a really gory way that was totally unique to the series. Loved it. Uh, yeah. So John D. Zach. Um, well, I was going to say Corinthian, but Nuno said it's too obvious. So, um, 
<laughs> I'm going to have to say uh, Goldie the Gargoyle. I'm going to have to switch nice. it up. <laughs> nice. Um, Although I like Irvin a lot Irvin a lot better for a name. It's a good name, yes. How about Greg the Gargoyle? He was pretty yeah. awesome. <laughs> um, I, uh, I think I'm going to go with uh, it. And she she was only in uh, half an episode, but uh, I'm going to go with Death, and based solely on uh, Kirby Howell Baptiste's performance. I thought uh, I just like the I, I could really feel the 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 pathos in her, uh, like just in her in her face and and in knowing the job that she was doing and and how she. Uh, comforted all the people that uh who she whose uh, souls she was she was guiding away and i just um i just thought her performance uh, i don't know if i've ever actually seen her in anything else before uh but i th- i just thought she was tremendous uh, and uh, and uh i enjoyed her her scenes with uh, her brother uh dream um for uh recasting uh, i think a lot of us might have the same thing um uh Sean, do you want to go first? Yep. Uh, Patton Oswalt, I'm going to recast. And I don't know why this popped into my head. I was trying to think of somebody British just because I feel like a lot of the characters from that realm are British. So, yep. uh, But I wanted somebody with a bit of comic relief too. I thought Nick Frost. He's just, you know, okay. he's a character that's like, doesn't really understand how things work. So Morpheus has to explain it to him. I just felt like, I don't know that could work. You know? Um, well, I kind of have like a, a two pronged approach to this. Sure. I was thinking a younger Benedict Cumberbatch would have been a really good dream. Okay. I, Cause I know that, you know, visually Tom Sturridge and his voice, I think he brought, it worked, but I think, I don't know. Along with Benedict Cumberbatch, I think instead of um, instead of David S. Goyer as a showrunner, I think the <laughs> the showrunners of BBC's Sherlock. Yeah, um, that, that I was just Mark, thinking. Mark Mark Gaddis and Stephen Moffat. I think they would have maybe had a more unique approach to actually making it into a series, updating it a bit. Um, I also liked what they did with the Dracula miniseries a few years ago on on Netflix. I was a huge fan of that three-part adaptation of Dracula. So yeah, um, the Sherlock team, along with Bandit Cumberbatch as Morpheus. This guy's going after Goyer big time. <laughs> <laughs> Nuno is not a Goyer head. <laughs> I, I, I like Blade and it pretty much it stops there. Yeah. yeah. Fair enough. Uh, Zach? Um, I mean, I would re- definitely recast uh, Sandman. Um, I mean, I, I didn't, I like I said, I did not like the character. I did not like the performance. I mean, it wasn't necessarily anything bad with his acting, but it was just like every every line felt like it had to be so overwrought and emotional. Like it was just everything he said was spoken with such gravity that I was just like, this is kind of irritating after a while. Um I would have liked something like, I mean, if you're going to go, you got to go Ro- Robert Smith himself. You got to go get him. <laughs> nice. Um, <laughs> um, I can't think of who else. I mean, maybe um, someone like S- Sad Affleck would be good. 
<laughs> or like uh, maybe like Robert Pattinson or something. He has a Britishness to it. I think he probably yeah. would do something. Uh, I'm, I'm sure he it. was tied to this role at some point during the development. I mean, I, mean, I guess uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt was originally attached to this as well. I guess he he backed out, but I mean, for, maybe he for maybe a movie. He, I think. Oh, he said it was yeah. for. I read it was for creative dif- differences or something. Okay. Um, I was wondering if he was if he wanted to be Sandman or something, but I think he did. But yeah, he I uh, would. I would also uh, recast uh, Patton Oswalt as Matthew the, the Raven and Nuno. It's insane that you went to the Sherlock route because I thought Martin Freeman. Oh, nice! Would be a, mm-hmm. a better choice uh, as as the voice. Uh, but if not that, then I would definitely recast. Uh, uh, Tom Sturridge is Morpheus with Big Bang Theories, Jim Parsons. <laughs> yes, <laughs> of <go>. course. <laughs> yes. Uh, which I think would definitely improve uh, the show. Uh, top five moments. Uh, I'll go first. Um, uh, the, the war of words between uh, uh, Morpheus and Lucifer in their battle. Um, I, uh, uh, Death's uh, uh, compassion with, uh, uh, you know, sending everybody off to heaven or hell um number three would be uh Susie the rottweiler does not meet an untimely end i was very nervous watching those scenes with uh, john d in the car as they were traveling because i was like if that dog tries to bite him he's just gonna fucking explode and it's gonna ruin the show for me uh number two uh Greg the Gargoyle steps up just like all Gregs do and sacrifices himself for the greater good. <laughs> and then uh, uh, my number one is just episode five, the diner episode. Okay. I'll go next. Uh, number five uh, dreams voice, as we've kind of mentioned. I mean, I agree. I don't think Tom Sturge's performance is amazing, but the voice is quite good. I think uh, number four, the idea of like we discussed, like kind of doing one issue per episode, like I, I, I think it falls apart a bit at the end and, and obviously they kind of start having to bring other issues in. But I think if it was, if the episodes were shorter, like if it was more like half hour episodes, I think they could stick to that and it, and it could actually work pretty well. Uh, number three, the second half of episode six, the, uh, what was that guy's name again? Hob. Hob uh, Gadling, his story. Uh, number three, the battle with Lucifer, battle of wits with Lucifer. And number one, diner episode. You know? You know, it's funny. My number five was also Dream's voice. So yeah. I'll also make it the pilot because the pilot, I love the introduction. And he only, he only talks in voiceover. So that's my number five. Number four is the helm. Um, I know that once he gets it, he never really uses it, which kind of sucks. But I think it, he, it looks badass. Yeah, it, it looks, looks cool. badass, right? Like, I kind of wish that... I'll, also, I don't know what it does. I don't know what powers it has or why he has it. In the comic, he wears it when he has when he goes into battle. It's kind of like armor. And the comic also has a cool little backstory. Um, it's made from the skull and bones of a god that he killed. Mm. so the helm is badass i don't know why he doesn't wear it all the time um number three (laughs) just the corinthian in general everything about the corinthian 
and the reveal finally in the end when you see like the 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 mouths that he has in his you know, eye sockets. You you know what I really liked about uh, at the end when he take when he took the sunglasses off and uh, he talked, they layered his voice over top of each other, so it was like all three. Oh, nice. Okay. Voices were saying the same thing. I didn't catch that. That's cool. And uh, yeah, I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, I would have. Um, I know that um, I've seen. I've seen a cover for like a series that came out later where um, it's a cool cover. It's what's it called? It's called like Dream Country or something. Um, it actually has the Corinthian eating a piece of steak through his eyeball. So <laughs> it would it would have been cool to see him actually eat stuff because I know that they do they do a, a point of view thing where. He's got eyeballs he's collected, and he, he actually eats them. And I think he can, like, in the comic, they say that he can get people's memories and stuff. Oh. I, th- I think I, I think I think Jed Walker's social worker, he takes out her eyes and eats them, but you don't see it happening in the show. But that would have been cool. Um, I also have Lucifer's uh, battle with words as number two. And number one... So forgive me for I'm gonna try to make it brief. Okay, <laughs> when uh, when when Dream finds out that Rose Walker's like Rose Walker's making reality and dreams kind of intermingle, when he finds out that Lita is pregnant, um, he says that the baby is mine because it was created in the dream world, and uh, you can keep it for now. But he said, but one day I'll be coming for it. That is like dark fairy tale fairy tale shit one on one. Yes. It's kind of like Rumpelstiltskin-esque and uh, from what I've read of Neil Gaiman and from like movies that have been adapted, he's really good at evoking uh, the dark kind of grim fairy tales. So that moment where everyone's like, what the fuck, Morpheus, you're going to like, you know, <laughs> like this baby's yours. I'm like, yes, that is the best moment. For me. <laughs> Stealing children. Uh, Zach, what about you? What's your top five? Um, so number five, I have uh, Gregory and Goldie, the Gargoyles. Um, number four, I put the look of the Corinthian, um, like everyone else also talked about. We talked about a lot. Number three, also the fight in hell, the war of words. Um, uh, number two, I have the death sequence in episode six. And then number five, I have the diner episode. So very similar. Just repeating yes. what you guys got. Well, that's our, our, our discussion on uh, the Sandman. I did want to take a, a few minutes and, and talk about uh, uh, the five animated shorts of I Am Groot that showed up on uh, Disney Plus uh, earlier this month. Um, mostly, uh, I'm like, is, first of all, uh, I don't know if you remember, if you listened to our review of uh, Guardians in the Galaxy Volume 2 in that I, I fucking hate Baby Groot. <laughs> I hate Baby Groot. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, and so I knew this, these episodes kind of took place, uh, in between the two Guardians of the Galaxy movies. Um, but I was, I was curious, uh, Sean and Nuno, I'm assuming you watched them with your kids. Did you get, did you get a chance to watch them with your kids? That's, I, I did. Yep. Yes. So, uh, I, I would like to know what, what they felt about, uh, these, uh, <laughs> you know, these kind of cute, uh, four minute, uh, uh, animated shorts starring Baby Groot. My kids them. didn't like them. No, <laughs> no, they were like, they didn't make a sound the entire time. We watched all five in a, or four, whatever, in a row, and they're just like, they just said like, why, why? 
and and you know what? And just like you, Greg, we're really vibing. First, we had the the BBC Sherlock oh, yes. connection, and Baby Groot. I think in the uh, the end credits of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume One, where he's doing the little dance thing, yeah. I was like, you know what? I let I like Baby Groot, but the opening credits of Volume Two, yeah, that's all from like his like you know like low camera angle, yes, and and the dance sequence. Two minutes into it, I was like, I can't stand Baby Groot. I am done with I Baby I mean, like, Groot. watching these episodes, he's a real dick. Like, he's just going to shit about anything. That's I was just I like about, about to him. say that. Yeah. Like, uh, I was like, is Groot an asshole? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sean, you said your kids loved it? Yeah, I mean, like, you know, they only watched each one once. But right. They were into it when we were watching it. And you know what it, it reminded me of? I think it reminded them of as well. They, they didn't say it. But has anybody seen Booba? The animated shorts. No. They're Booba, I think they're on Netflix Booba. now. <laughs> Booba. No. Did not make that connection. Uh no, I mean I think they're on Netflix now, but they used to be on YouTube. They're like the this weird kind of gremlin. Not, not even gremlin. I don't know what you call him. He's like this weird creature with like white fur. And they're like kind of dialogue-free short episodes where he just gets into trouble and gets, you know causes chaos and that's kind of what this reminded me of um there was one moment that uh i laughed uh just once uh and it was in the third episode which is uh where uh groot is is chasing uh uh like that shape-shifting alien around the ship that he has like the dance sequence with before he sends that alien through the fucking airlock like a prick uh but uh uh, baby Groot is, he's sitting on a toilet and he's reading an alien version of everybody poops. And there's the picture of Thanos on the cover. Oh, which I thought was kind of funny. Uh, that was really the only amusement I got out of, uh, these five episodes. Uh, well, actually, no, I kind of enjoyed Rocket's appearance in the last, uh, in the last episode as well. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, the, uh, Zach, other than thinking that Groot's an asshole, what did you think of the the, the episodes? There's only one ep- one word to describe this: <laughs> shameless. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we all. I, I know I'm the cynical one, and I'm the uh, anti Disney one, but like we all know what the reason for this is. It's to sell some sort of product uh, of of I am Groot. <laughs> There's no reason for this to exist at all. These this used to be called webisodes, and they were free on the internet. And now <laughs> they they charge they, money for they them. They used to be called Booba, and it was free on YouTube. That's what I'm saying. Man. <laughs> Virtually everything on Disney it, it used to be called webisodes, but now we dedicate like hours and hours of time to watching it. Um, I mean, there there was some moments I liked. I liked the one with the little creatures, like the uh, little guys. I think it's called. Oh, yes. um, I mean, that, I found that was kind of cute. I mean, you know, Disney's good at what they do. <laughs> they can win, they can win me over every once in a while. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's just kind of um, pointless. It's there to sell products to get kids hooked on Disney early on, and then. Uh, get them uh, more prepared for when uh, phase six uh, through 10 come out in the next two decades. But 
I mean, they, <laughs> they announced a shit ton of stuff in, uh, at Comic Con, uh, like movies leading all the way up into phase six. And, uh, the, the Disney convention D23 happens, uh, in the, I think the second weekend of September, which I'm assuming is when they're going to announce all the rest of the stuff that they're filling out. I mean, there's talk of a Wonder Man show. There's a talk of a, a of a Wakanda series that focuses on Okoye and probably, you know, uh, the, the Deadpool three will probably get announced and who knows what else has happened, but they're just, uh, they're pumping that shit out. And, you know, like every movie that end credits, they introduce another character. And so we know like three years down the road, we're going to get, you know, Dr. Strange and, and Clea in their movie. We're going to get Hercules in something. Like we're just going to keep getting all this stuff. And it's just this never ending train of, and things that, you know, and I'm going to keep paying to watch all this fucking shit. I mean, like has, is everything, every, everything that Disney plus produced, is it all MC, like MCU or star Wars material? Have they have any like new original stuff? Yeah, they've okay. got some Pixar stuff. Well, they've got the didn't isn't uh, didn't they debut uh, that movie Prey? Wasn't that debuted on Disney Plus? I think yeah, that's, that's Hulu. And yeah, that's Hulu first. Then, okay. Yeah. yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Speaking of that, but like the shameless, you know, the shamelessness of uh, of the I am Groot. The one thing it really reminded me of was um, when was it like a year or so into Disney Plus being around? Once they acquired Twentieth uh, Century Fox they started making these similar shorts starring Maggie Simpson. Oh yes. And they were really atrocious and they kind of <laughs> like, because they chose a character who doesn't speak. So they were kind of showing, Hey, we can still profit off of the Simpsons without paying any of the, you know, legacy voice actors. Um, so they do the, they're the kind of park. They're, they're like, um, I am Groot because they, on the surface feel kind of like the old Disney shorts starring like Chip and Dale or Goofy where, you know, they're these little kind of dialogue light or dialogue list things. But these Maggie Simpson shorts, I watched them with my kids years ago. They are goddamn awful. Um, again, again, they're, just, they're, they're taking a show which was aimed at adults, right. And being like, Oh, we're now going to market it for your children. And Hey, one day the Simpsons will be completely unrecognizable. They'll be completely Disney-fied. It's going to be a CGI, family-friendly goddamn mess for the next <laughs> like thirty years plus, right? With none of the original creative creators or or cast or voices. That's the yeah. future of yeah. the Simpsons. I mean, I keep seeing all this um, episodes pop up like as individual episodes. Like it's like the Simpsons meets like. Oh, Thor. Yeah, they, they, yeah. they, they have a Simpsons okay. Thor or, like, thing. or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Well, that reminds me, like, I was confused why the I Am Groot things are all separate. Like, there's you can't just go to the series and watch them all in order. You know, each it's weird. Port on its own, which was super annoying. But uh, just one other thing I want to mention. So, Nuno, you were talking about they're profiting off the Simpsons without paying the voice actors. Hey, they're still paying Vin Diesel the voice. I know, which yeah, is hilarious. That's messed up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like he, uh, he, he did like seven minutes of work and probably got paid a, a shit ton of money for. It. Well, like yeah, they got Bradley Cooper in just for a little bit too, so he probably uh, made quite a bit there, there as well. 
I mean, do they have to re-record it, or they they can use what they already have? Can't they? Well, I, I think <laughs> uh, I think what they've done is when they started filming Guardians of the Galaxy three, they filmed they recorded this stuff. They filmed the stuff for the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special, which is coming later this year on Disney Plus, and they filmed all of the actors' stuff for the new ride at Epcot, which I'm going to be riding in three weeks when I'm in Florida. Um, but so like they, they get, they do all of this stuff at one time. So uh, that probably saves them from paying them so much money. I mean, they, they pro- probably just have better contracts now, I guess yeah, that yeah. it's more, I mean, when the Simpsons voice actors probably signed their contracts, they didn't know about things like streaming or whatever, no. where their, <laughs> where their material would be, uh, copied indefinitely and they wouldn't get all the kind of rights from like tv so um yeah i mean they're probably more aware of it now so it's like into their contracts i I think they're they're probably doing all right (laughs) i think the contracts they have i'm sure they're living comfortably um you know nancy cartwright is probably has you know, four houses all over the world. I'm sure she's doing just fine. Um, you know, speaking of, uh, shameless, uh, I think the only reason we don't have baby Yoda shorts is because John Favreau and Dave Filoni said, no, <laughs> we're not going to put out this shit. We're going to yeah. save it for our actual show. Cause I think, uh, that, uh, that's definitely a, a cash grab that uh, I'm sure Disney would really like to capitalize on more. More baby, baby. Mm-hmm. Let's get, let's do baby Chewbacca. Let's do baby Predator. Let's do all the <laughs> shit that they own. Baby Alien. Um, you know, baby Santa Claus, all that shit. They, they own it all. <laughs> let's just get baby versions of everything. Muppet yeah. babies. Um, all right. So that's the show. Uh, thanks for, uh, checking it out. Uh, Nuno, you got anything to plug? I, I expect your next Archie cover to have Archie with three mouths. That would be amazing. Um, <laughs> I, I wish that would be a great, a great mashup. Um, no, I'm, I'm working on some Halloween stuff. Uh, sadly, none of it is going to be that dark. But um, yeah, you can check out my website, nunop.com uh, or nunop.com. Uh, you can get links to all my socials there and look at some of my cover, uh, all, all my cover work on there. Zach, what about you? Where can we find you? Uh, basically just on the discord. That's where I'm the most active now. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> Sean. Uh, yeah, just film junk, patreon.com slash film junk, uh, film junk, film junk.com, whatever you want. Anything film junk. Uh, you can find me on, uh, the Gasman lives on Twitter and Instagram. Um, TV junk podcast on Twitter, ball junk podcast on Twitter. If you're not, uh, listening to game junk and ball junk and film junk, what the hell are you doing? You can get them on all your favorite podcast apps. Uh, download them all, subscribe, five star reviews on all of uh, all that shit. <laughs> Do us a favor and, uh, and check them all out. And, uh, we will see you for, uh, episode nine. Thanks for listening. You can watch Mr. Rogers. You can turn on fame or the newlywed game or the Adams Family. Say, you can watch Barney Miller and you can watch your MTV. And you can watch till your eyes fall out of your head. That'll be okay with me. <laughs>